You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Commuter. Morning, 67 degrees. Today is Wednesday, August the 23rd. I'm Lee Harris. Morning. Hey, kiddo. I love you. It's my first time on a commuter train. What about you? Every day, last 10 years. 10 years? You must know everyone on this train. I'm sorry, have we met? No, I'm Joanna. Michael. I study human behavior. My job is to answer one basic question. What's that? What kind of person are you? Let's do an experiment. What if I asked you to do something that could profoundly affect an individual on this train? I don't understand. Someone on this train does not belong. All you have to do is find them. In the bathroom, there is $75,000. That money is yours if you do this one little thing. I thought this was hypothetical. You have until next stop to decide. What kind of person are you? Insurance salesman Michael is on his daily commute home, which quickly becomes anything but routine. After being contacted by a mysterious stranger, Michael is forced to uncover the identity of a hidden passenger on the train before the last stop. As he works against the clock to solve the puzzle, he realizes a deadly plan is unfolding, and he is unwittingly caught up in a criminal conspiracy that carries life and death stakes for everyone on the train. The film is starring Liam Neeson, Vera Farmiga, Patrick Wilson, Jonathan Banks, Elizabeth McGovern, and Sam Neill. It is directed by John Colette Sarah and written by Byron Willinger, Philip de Blasi, and Ryan Engel. Joining me for this review, I have Deanne Kiazese. Hello. All right, Deanne, the commuter. Yes. First podcast film review of you know, the 2018 year. Uh, last week, we reviewed Phantom Thread on the show, myself, Will, and Fiona, who was our newest member. And uh, that's a 2017 release. So this being our first 2018 release here, um, a Liam Neeson action film. We've had plenty of those over the last couple of years. Uh, what did you ultimately think of The Commuter? Well, before we really get into the movie, I have a few things I'd like to digress on. Oh, first sure. of all, First of all, I ha- I'm putting you on the spot, but I saw on Twitter that you recently, just yesterday, had a very tragic experience on a train involving your favorite hat. Oh, why well, you got to bring this up? No. I know, but I just feel like it's applicable. Oh, I, <laughs> it was yeah, a sad so, day. Um, those who follow me on social media will know that I have a black hat that is pretty much an almost all of my photos, either I'm bald or I have a black hat. It's one of the two, (laughs) generally speaking. Um, I'm growing my hair out, and as a result of which, I've been wearing the black hat more. And this black hat I've had for a number of years. It's my favorite hat, and I I just – I left it on the train. And I can't believe that I left it on the train, and I feel so incomplete without it. And I'm, like, heartbroken and upset, and – 
I'm supposed to be going with my sister today to get a new one, so hopefully that works out. Uh, fingers crossed. But in any event, though, okay, yes, yes, yes. So I hate trains right now. I know, and you needed Liam Neeson. The story. He, he could have helped. Ah, uh, Lee, Liam, <laughs> help me find my hat. <laughs> I have a particular set of skills. I will help you find your hat. Um, Okay, so here's my other digression. I've been on a little bit of a journey because on Thursday night, I finally got to see The Post in Salt Lake City. Yay! Which I was very excited, which incidentally stars, not stars, sorry, has uh, in the ensemble Bruce Greenwood, who plays Robert McNamara in that particular story, The Secretary of Defense. Then last night, I saw Mark Felt, the man who brought the White House down, which is essentially... Like, where the post ends, you know, kind of Mark Felt begins, and incidentally, also has Bruce Greenwood in it, but also, right nestled in between those films, I got to see The Commuter, starring Liam Neeson, which is also the star of Mark Felt, the man who brought the White House down, which I don't understand why they call it that. Like, why not just call it Deep Throat? But it's, anyway, that's another thing. Um, But anyway, it was this very weird experience of all of these movies connecting together, and The Commuter was kind of like the meat on the sandwich between those two films. and it's funny because Liam Neeson had the exact same accent in both of the movies, which uh-huh. I'm pretty sure. I'm that pretty Mark sure Liam felt. Neeson has the exact same accent in almost every uh, in movie. In every movie. I, I know, I don't think Mark Felt was Irish. I mean, I tried to Google it, but I don't think so. Anyway, so that, that all right, so let's get to the movie now. All of that being said, that's, that's the journey I've been on. I think The Commuter was. Um, Um, Definitely a little bit uneven overall, but I will say that I found kind of the hook in the first act to be successful, and I was interested, and I wanted to see where it was going, and I was optimistic, Um, and I think, you know, it it did a few interesting things kind of in the first half of the movie. Overall, I was a little disappointed with how it concluded, Um, but, you know, it managed to hook me, and um, I had, you know, a pretty decent time trying to figure out where it was going. Yeah, I mean, like, this wasn't horrendous or anything like that. I mean, it, it's fine. It, it's like a step below fine as far as I'm concerned. That that opening, um, in terms of it hooking you, I agree. The first opening uh, minutes of the film, I really, really like yeah. this choppy editing technique that they Me used. too! Yeah, I thought that was a very unique way to kind of suck us into getting used to what this man's daily routine has been like for the last 10 years and the way that it just cut back and forth between the titles and um, the sequence itself of showing him getting up in the morning, making breakfast, talking to his wife and son, driving to the train station. Um, that was all really well done. And then the movie starts. He's on the train. And the number one thing that's like going through my mind is like, uh, OK, so I, I commute from Long Island, New York to Manhattan um, and now Brooklyn uh, every day. Right. So I know this train. I know this route. I know where Liam Neeson is going. I get it. I live it. This is not an authentic experience of New York commuting. Let me tell you. (laughs) What? I am shocked. (laughs) I mean, I mean, just the other day, um, I did not see any trains uh, flipping over and getting derailed. And, you know, it's just like this movie is so ridiculously. Well, and do people really talk to each other? And no, that's the other thing too. <laughs> nobody, okay, nobody talks uh, to each other or out loud 
the way that these people in this film do. Like these guys, all these characters, the women, the men, all of them, they're all stereotypes. And uh, it, it really kind of bugs me that this movie could not be more um, authentic and grounded and it had to be um, more standard Hollywoodized in a way to have these caricatures and these just terrible lines of dialogue to help give uh, to help make these characters stand out. With that said, I like the first, you know, I like the first part of the film, mm-hmm. you know, the setup. When Vera yep. Farmiga comes in and says, oh, you got to just do this one little thing. And the whole plot of the movie kind of kicks in. It's really the second half of the film, the middle, where the movie just lost me. And then the climax of the film I thought was really interesting because I didn't know where it was going to go. And I didn't know how they were actually going to end it and how Liam Neeson was ultimately going to get out of this situation. Um, But then the movie wraps itself up at the very end in a manner in which I was just like, ugh, tie a freaking bow on it, why don't you? Like, uh, it just didn't, uh, I didn't like the way that they actually ended the film. But the lead up to the end, you know, when they're on the train and this becomes a hostage situation kind of a film. Uh, that was all like very, very interesting to me because, like I said, the suspense factor was uh, there. Yeah, I agree. So when I'm thinking of kind of focused on the things that I liked, um, for sure, I am with you on that opening montage. I thought that was really clever and kind of different, and it got me excited about the movie because I thought, you know, it was just it wasn't the cliche like this. You know, is a perfectly happy family. It was sort of a mesh of all of the ups and downs of you know what a family life experiences and yeah like they show date mornings where he's arguing with his wife and mornings where him and his wife you know go you know about on their way peacefully i, I yeah i like that too, I, I did too i thought that was really clever and then um we talked about the setup and you know kind of the question of like what kind of person are you and you know finding yourself in that situation of having to ask as the viewer like how you would handle something i think this does that to some degree well, it makes you think about whoa what would i do and how would i handle that in that first segment I don't know I don't know because the thing that kills me about that whole setup with the whole what kind of a person are you this whole idea of human behavior Mm -hmm. um, I wish they had just gotten rid of that completely my my reasoning behind this is because we're exploring uh, this um, white man's you know this white successful man uh, you know he says he's in financial trouble but I mean to be fair and honest it's he's not on the streets you know, crawling for money or anything like that. We're looking at this guy's pride. Liam Neeson uh, should just never, you know, taken the challenge. He just never should have uh, taken the money. I I know that they say that he needs it, but just to me, this whole movie comes off as like an examination of pride in a way that I just, something about it rubbed me the wrong way on on that level of just trying to get to the core basic of, what kind of a person are you? Yeah, I, I agree with you. But okay, but let me ask you this. Like, so, and we're not spoiling anything, but because this happens very early on. But, you know, the question is posed, and the first thing he does is just go to validate if it's real or not. Would you have at least done that part yourself? Yeah, I would have evaluated it. And I will admit yeah. that he does. This, the screenplay tries to kind of correct the wrongs that he makes ultimately. Yeah, that, and that's the ending. That's what's kind of annoying. Not yeah. even that. It's more of like, you know, he's trying to get on the phone. He's trying to call the police. He's trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. And he's trying to stop everything from happening. But the bottom line is that he still takes the money. 
he still sets the plot in motion and I I just I don't know I couldn't buy it I couldn't just uh, I couldn't buy it as a story and I don't know I think it's maybe just because this movie was catering to in my opinion like on that just low entertainment spectrum of people who go to movies to just be entertained but don't want to engage with the film this film is just really silly oh yeah I mean I mean of course you're, you're absolutely right I mean I agree with you there but at the same time for what it was trying to be I'm trying to be as positive as I can be <laughs> um, and then the other piece I will be positive about is there was sort of uh, it was in the middle there was kind of two parts of the movie where it was almost like this murder on the Orient Express thing where he's evaluating all of the different people trying to figure out their who they are and why they were there and I liked some of that I mean I was I was kind of curious about some of that discovery but um the last thing I'll say as a positive is that there was um some optimism from me in the beginning in one of the first kind of major action scenes where Liam Neeson I you know I'm not spoiling anything but he's involved in having to jump back on the train after getting off the train and it really like it was filmed in a way that kind of showed that that was a struggle for him and it wasn't just like this easy task or easy feat and I'm thinking to myself positively like oh good I mean maybe we're going to recognize that this is a 65 year old man who is in, in this experience and then all of of a sudden we get to the third act and all of that optimism that maybe we were going to handle you know that action stuff in a different way kind of went out the window for me yeah and talking about the action i mean they reiterate over and over that he's 60 years old and 60 yeah yeah and they have uh, those moments like that in the very early going you're right Deanne, where he is showing his age a little bit more um and yes there are like hand-to-hand fight sequences and things like that but by the end of this movie, I'm just sitting there and I'm saying to myself, man, Liam Neeson should be dead. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way that at age 60, this man survived this. I don't care how much of a badass he is. He could be Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger for all I care. Um, I'm just not buying it at that point because they want me to view him not as a superhero. They want me to view him as a human being. They want me to view him as a man with struggles, you know, a man who takes his pride very seriously and doesn't want to ask for help or for money or anything like that. Uh, and once you kind of make him more human, uh, I don't understand why all of a sudden they make him out to be this huge badass. He's an ex-cop. Big whoop. Yeah. That makes him into some sort of like a super soldier that can get hit in the head by pipes and, you know, bludgeoned to death with people's fists over and over and like stabbed and shot and everything. And yet, he, I, I, oh, God. Yeah, it's silly. It, it, it really it really falls off at the end. And, you know, in the setup um, for kind of who ends up ultimately being the bad guy and all of that good stuff felt pretty obvious. And uh, in, it was obvious, but I thought the, the drama of it all, like I said, that. Uh, you kind of like there. that, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, because like I said, it, it really held me in suspense as to what was going to be the ultimate fate of Liam Neeson. And, and, you know, you were talking before about what decisions would you choose and what would you do if you were in that situation. I kind of got that feeling more so in that um, in that final sequence, uh, more so. Yeah, oh, good. Well, see? Now, I'm talking about the visual language of this movie a little bit, too. Um, the director of this film, he did a film last year called The Shallows with Blake Lively. Did, yes. you, see, did you see that? I have. I actually just recently rewatched it with my nieces who are all under the age of 12, and they screamed the whole time, and it was so funny. <laughs> it was seriously, like, such a highlight. I love watching movies with people who can't handle it and just yeah. are, like, pacing the room. Anyway. I thought that was a really good 
B-level movie. It uh, was. It was just perfectly fine and entertaining. Right. Yeah. This movie, I feel like there is ambition in terms of how he wants to try to uh, do some of the visual framing, um, you know, some of the language of this movie. Like, the, the early on, after Liam Neeson gets fired from his job, uh, there's, like, a bird's-eye uh, viewpoint that shows that he's like all alone. There's like people walking in the frame and all of a sudden there's like for a split second, everyone's now out of the frame except for him. Um, There's moments on the train where like the camera pulls back down the carts to show just how long and vast the train is. There are Mm -hmm. fight sequences that are stitched together to make it look like it's done in a single take. These moments while on paper are, you know, good ideas. I just felt like the execution of them did not work as well as uh, they were hoping because mostly my one of my biggest complaints about the film is that the CGI is pretty horrendous. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Some, and, and all of that just felt kind of like fluff and not really impactful. No. Did you also notice that the fight scenes were also sped up? Yes. Oh, my, that is one of the first things my husband said when we left. Is he said, there was one fight scene that I'm pretty sure was on fast forward. And I'm like, yeah. Very much so. It's like the greatest showman in the dancing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I agree. And the other thing that's interesting, so, you know, this actor has obviously directed Neeson. And everyone is saying or, um, that this is obviously just another same, him doing the same thing, right? So, meaning Neeson. Um, But there was um, that movie Unknown, I guess, that this director also did for him. And I kept having this feeling, and this might just be my weird brain, but sometimes when I'm a little bit bored in a movie or I'm like, I write these narratives in my mind. And as I was watching this, I felt like somebody wrote this movie for Liam Neeson, where it was almost like, let's just try and come up. We did so good with that one we did with him. You know, (laughs) let's try and write one for him that works for his age right now. And that instead of the kind of the other way around. And I have no idea if that's true, but that's how this felt to me if if that makes any sense yeah no or um a lot of times what will happen is a screenplay gets written it's got kind of like a stock character in the lead role maybe there are some characteristics that are unique to that character from the writer's point of view um and then they get an actor uh, to get cast in it, and then, then they go to, back to the script and they, and they tweak it to fit the actor. You know what I mean? Right, which could have happened here too. Yeah, right. yeah. either way, um, I totally get what you mean when you say that it feels like it was written for Liam Neeson. Uh, it's no surprise to me that this is a Hollywood film uh, designed in a manner to satisfy um, that itch from people who just want it overtaken. Yep. And this is not taken. No, actually. No. Doesn't try to be. Um, did you ever see that movie Sixteen Blocks with I did. Bruce? That's that was something that popped into my head quite a bit throughout this in terms of similarities. Um, but I actually liked that movie with Bruce Willis and mm. Mo, it was Moss Def. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, no, no I do absolutely. <laughs> uh, anyway, I feel like I'll be forgetting very soon. Um, oh yes. I don't know. Maybe on uh, on Tuesday this week when I'm on the uh, Long Island Railroad and I'm traveling into <laughs> New York City, uh, maybe I will have moments where I will look at my car and I will say to myself, hmm, what aspect of this movie did they get right? Oh, wait a minute, nothing. Because (laughs) the train doesn't even look like that. I don't even know of a train that stops at, um, I don't even know of any train that stops at, uh, stops on Long Island and also goes underground in the subway. I I mean, and I could be totally wrong about that, but I've never seen that before. (laughs) So there's that. And then also, too, the, tr- the train is obviously very wide and huge. Yeah, it is. Comfy. That's, that's not true. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Every train is condensed and packed. 
And that's the other thing, too. They make it look like there's a lot of passengers on the train in the very beginning. And by the time we get to the end, there's like barely anybody left on this train at all. I find that very hard to believe because trains are usually typically always packed, no matter what time, what day. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, this is a lot about this that totally inauthentic, completely insane and ridiculous. And I don't know if you're going to just to the movies to shut your brain off uh, and just see something that's going to entertain you. I still don't think this is it, personally. I'm not. There's like, better. Yeah. Yeah, I think there are better films that can do that for you. You can shut your brain off, be entertained by them, um, and I'm sure that we may or may not be getting one. You know, hopefully within the next month or two. But I, I, I just don't think this is it. I agree. All right, Deanne. Final thoughts. Great out of ten. Oscar okay. Potential. So I'm gonna end with this really embarrassing um, confession because I was looking at the poster for this. Did you notice how it's like? all written with the little multicolored dots, the computer. And Mm -hmm. okay, so I'm looking at this going, what is this movie about? I hadn't even seen a trailer. And that threw me off so much because I didn't realize it was. So now in retrospect, I'm realizing that's how like the stops look right on the train. Mm -hmm. Okay, I didn't realize that. I thought it was like some sort of word puzzle game or or movie. (laughs) I'm like, is this words with friends mystery? Because I might totally be into that. Um, I would love to see a words with friends. Anyway, it's so that's that's <laughs> you. You guys know I don't mind my confessions. I don't. I don't mind being self-deprecating. So there you go. Um, secondly, I think Liam Neeson was fine in this, and I do think I feel like there's a moment coming for him. I don't know, maybe someday, especially after watching Mark Felt, which was unfortunately kind of a miss too. Um, hopefully, there's a moment for him at some point in the next few years where he gets to shine. Because I think I think maybe there is a role out there that could do that for him. Um, I think this is an acceptable popcorn movie, but not the best. Um, it has reasonable performances, and it attempts to differentiate on a few things, but overall is cliche, unfortunately. Uh, four out of ten. Any Oscar potential? <laughs> um, n- no, sir. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, there's not much else I can say that I've already said. Um, I'm at a four out of ten as well. Like I said, it's not the worst movie I think I'll, I'll, I will see this year, but it's also nowhere near uh, good. So 4 out of 10 seems just about right as far as where I'm standing. Oscar potential, absolutely not. Hell no, 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 <laughs> no. And that's really all I've got. Yeah. Yeah. I commute to the movies frequently, you know. You do. And keep us posted on the hat. Oh, yeah, 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 I will. Absolutely. I'm going to file a lost and found uh claim and we'll see Good. if i can find that on my next uh you know my next commute and we'll see if i could be reunited oh my god all right deanne where can i find you on the internet you can find me on twitter at tweedledd 33 and you can find me at next best picture thank you so much everyone for listening to the next best picture podcast review of the commuter you can subscribe to the next best picture podcast on soundcloud itunes google play stitcher TuneIn, player fm and on Castbox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Nothing less than five stars is acceptable. Or otherwise, I will hunt you down. I will find you. And I will kill you. That's 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 the best I can do. That was good. With a certain set of skills. With a certain set of skills. <laughs> yes, okay. Thank you. That's my favorite Thank part. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. <laughs> and we will see you all next time.
You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.